Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to this meeting. My name is River, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. My co-leader here is Jean T., Uh, The topic we are sharing on is living life emotionally sober. Please turn off any electronics and do not record any of the session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session is being live streamed on the internet around the globe. In addition, it is also being recorded. The streaming and recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not want to be live streamed or recorded, but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-streamed, non-recorded meeting. Please do not touch the recording equipment. When it is time to share, come up to the front and sit next to us uh, in these chairs lined up. Please leave the microphone on the table and do not touch it because it makes noise on the recording. Thank you. Let us begin with a moment of silence for all those still suffering or unable to to attend a meeting, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Again, our topic is living life emotionally sober. Jean and I will share for five to six minutes about this topic as it applies to our lives. Then we will open it up, the meeting, uh, for all others to share. You will have two minutes to share uh, before Jean calls time. Okay. I'm going to go first. I'm still River. I'm a sexaholic. And I've been sexually sober since August 26, 2015. And I want to be sure and hit three areas about uh, living life emotionally sober. Uh, One of them has to do with my lifelong tendency to stuff emotions and numb them. And the other one I want to weave into that is um, developing a sense of an internalized, loving, kind, gentle parent within myself to help take care of my emotional self. And uh, the other part is um, <clears throat> touching on this letter that uh, Bill Wilson from AA wrote uh, when he was 21 years sober about emotional sobriety, which I believe is where the term was coined uh, from Bill. And I do have copies of it, but not very many. So after the meeting, if you'd like one, feel free to take one. It was printed in the grapevine. Um, okay, so I um, have was raised in a family where it was not okay to feel emotions. Um, and I was a very sensitive, and am still a very sensitive person uh, with uh, an, just overwhelming sense that feelings are going to kill me. <laughs> so, And I didn't have parents who knew how to help me with that, and so I started doing what probably we all did and uh, started stuffing them and numbing them out uh, through my addiction at a very young age. Um, I had a friend send me a cartoon one time, and she said, this reminds me of your family, which uh, it's a cartoon of a barn with a chain around it and a padlock, and the barn is about to explode. And the parent is telling the child, this is where we put our feelings. (laughs) And so when I came into the program and I started not 
using my drug of choice to numb and stuff these emotions, um, yeah, they all started bursting out all over my friends and family, and especially those in 12-step recovery, because those were the people that I felt comfortable with um, sharing my emotions. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, I've spent a lot of time uh, doing amends in 12-step recovery for emotional outbursts, but... And, um, so then, um, through the program, working the steps, especially step two, where we get to explore our, um, relationship with authority figures and especially for me, my parents and realized that I was given an example of, um, unkind parenting and I internalized that. And so, uh, early in recovery to control my emotional nature, I would, you know, hurt myself to get me to stop feeling. And so I first want, you know, when I heard that the topic was emotional sobriety, I, I remember that, that that does not mean, uh, being dry. No, it's not like sobriety, like drive him emotions. Like I don't have emotions anymore, even though there is still a part of me that kind of wishes that it could be like that, but, uh, it's not, it's the balance, finding the appropriate balance for emotions because I am a human being and it feels good to be able to say that out loud without crying. And, um, and so, uh, through working the steps and learning and practicing, actually practicing, uh, if I was upset, you know, not, uh, saying you're, you're stupid, you're bad, you're wrong, you're a baby. I used to say that a lot. Quit being a big baby, you know, uh, unkind things to myself. I even would squeeze my arms and, you know, actually hurt myself to get myself to stop feeling emotions. Um, and so instead, you know, I've learned to pat my hair, you know, stroke my hair or, you know, pat my arm, um, and, and take care of myself in my emotional, in my emotions. And, um, in this, uh, piece that Bill wrote, uh, in this letter that he wrote, he's, this was 21 years sober, you know, uh, before Bill discovered this, um, dependency that he had developed on other people in the program. And he says, I think many oldsters, who have put our AA booze cure to, to severe but successful tests still find they often lack emotional sobriety. I kept asking myself, why can't the 12 steps work to release depression? Suddenly I realized what the matter was. My basic flaw had always been dependence, almost absolute dependence on people or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like, failing to get these things according to my perfectionistic dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. And um, and so in recovery, um, as I have progressively worked on um, ridding myself of first um, acting out behavior, I had to stop that. And then, you know, the whack-a-mole syndrome, you know, where once I get rid of one thing, other things start popping up. I think that that is what um, Bill is talking about. And so after all of this sobriety, um, he really had to start focusing on uh, making his higher power the only source uh, that he could draw upon without dependence. Um, and so that's, uh, really where I am in my recovery program, uh, working on this relationship with my higher power while in tandem relying on people in the program to help keep me honest and demonstrate for me, um, this loving reflection that I need in my life without becoming dependent on it, you know, and so that is that is a really challenging balance because once I see some affirmation and validation from another person, I want to veer over there and think, oh, I can get it all met there. But no, it's not there, you know, <laughs> it's coming back. And so it's a back and forth uh, process for me that uh, is really working and uh, have tremendous gratitude for the program and all of you for being here. And with that, I will pass. I'm Gene. I'm a sexaholic. I'm very glad to be a sexaholic. 
I'm happy about it uh, because it's given me things that I could not do for myself. It being in recovery and having the opportunity to be helped and to help others. Uh, I, I prepared some things that have come from my experience, strength, and hope in recovery around the um, emotional sobriety ideas. I, and I, as she and I have been working on this for several weeks and getting ready for that, I, I was glad to have our new book. And, uh, I looked up some emotional things there, and one of them was July the 5th. It was just a few days ago, and I love the reading it had, and I would like to share it with you. It's a quote from a 12 and 12, uh, talking about the 10th step. And, uh, matter of fact, I, I recommend, highly recommend that whole chapter on the 10th uh, step in the 12 and 12. It's talking about emotional sobriety quite a bit, a very important little piece. But this quote comes from our book on July the 5th. It's, it says, finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill, as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love for our fellows actually means. And that's the end of the quote. And uh, I've reflected on that and many other things that she and I were saying. There's so much available in our literature about this subject. And we kept sharing this week. We'd run across these things and uh, just kind of overwhelmed by the volume and enjoyed the work. Enjoy the search, but I, I saw that uh, many of us know some babies and bullies and show-offs and hotheads and people who would want to be the teacher's pet, and yet they haven't seen a classroom in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. And... Uh, Maybe we are developmentally, developmentally stalled as well ourselves. Uh, it's not at all unusual for grown men and women to be acting emotionally the way they were when they were 12 years old or less or more. But uh, it, uh, developmentally stalled with our emotional development and, and with addictions, that's very common. Uh, in recovery, we have the chance to get to know ourselves and we can be open about our juvenile soft spots if those are there. Uh, if we find ourselves striking back when we're offended, if we are laughing at other people's mistakes, if we're currying favor with more popular people, or we're indulging with Petty, we're usually indulging there with petty, childish behaviors. It isn't possible to be a mature adult and to be a tattletale at the same time. Are we prepared to do what it takes to win our own approval? Often it means being willing to wage war on our emotions. Our feelings of guilt, fear, rage, impotence may well be circling around our camp, threatening to stop our journey forward. These familiar enemies may be faced and must be faced and dealt with if we mean to keep on going. And that campaign is not for sissies. One thing that helps is to stop being surprised every time these feelings come rushing into our lives. Haven't we learned by now that they are a persistent lot? And uh, did we really imagine that they were going to be gone for good the last time we tried to run them out? We were kidding ourselves if we did. These feelings are as real as we are, and they very well may be uh, on hot tracks on our trail all the rest of our lives. 
That's uh, a reason. There's a good reason for our feelings. And the reason may be hidden in the past, and we may never discover it. But it, uh, the reason exists. And that's why we can never take one, uh, one last stand against these negative emotions. Victory of these marauding feelings is a matter of endurance and acceptance. The trick is to go ahead anyway to gain as much ground as we can before they catch up with us again, and to never forget, always remember the battles we've had with those emotions in the past and the ones we've won. Oh, that's you again. That's a a real uh, appropriate response to when these emotions come and, and hit us again. Oh, It's you again. Uh, Living a life emotionally sober is much more possible when we are focusing on the solution rather than focusing on the problem. Focusing on wellness rather than exclusively on illness. The switch in emphasis makes a profound difference. We can actually cause ourselves living emotional problems by dwelling on the various scars and bruises that life has given us. As if we are nothing more than the sum total of our injuries. We are far more whole and healthy than we are sick. Uh, of course, it's important to know what's wrong and to try to go to work right away and, and work on fixing that. I personally have had to have personal professional help to do some of the worst stuff in my life, working on my angers and some of those things that have been the worst emotional problems in my life. And uh, it's helped me a lot. And uh, I, I work on what needs to be fixed. But... We should never, never define ourselves by our wounds. To do so is to uh, discount our true value and to disclaim the many healthy and happy parts of our lives. By focusing on wellness, I'm giving my emotional life a chance to heal. And it's healing. And I'm still focusing on it today. And I will continue to focus on it, especially, you know, our solution says we found that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Healing had to come about in all three. And as our sobriety definition says, the sin quo non is the physical sobriety. We just can't expect health and and further development in emotional and spiritual health, in my opinion, without first the physical sobriety. And uh, building a life of emotional sobriety will help, with the help of our higher power, is terribly difficult for hotheads, fanatics, and crybabies. It's a precision work. It's an artistic work to work on our personal emotional development. Uh, it's uh, the object of uh, our development is to develop a healthier self-talk, control over inner judgments, and the outlandish expectations we readily face upon put upon ourselves. But this is impossible if we can't control our passions. We can tolerate spontaneity and some mistakes, sure. But we must not be owned by our anger or by jealousy or fear. Passion and reason can't both be in the driver's seat. Dedication to building a reasoned, balanced life of sobriety takes a cool head. 
A life of emotional sobriety cannot abide in the same house with a raging, out-of-control anger or the neurotic fear that others are trying to get ahead at our expense or the frantic greediness that that, uh, passes for being good to ourselves. The inner balance between thinking and feeling has to be the first goal, the first steps. My passions can be great servants, but they make bad masters. I'm Gene. I'm a sexaholic. Thank you. Uh, you now have the opportunity to share with the group. Please focus on the topic of the meet, meeting, which you know what it is. Like sharing in any SA meeting, please limit your sharing to the topic. Avoid explicit sexual descriptions or uh, distracting comments. And focusing on the solution rather than the problem. Please do not share anything that legally would have to be reported to the authorities Please line up at uh, my left over here, and uh, so we don't have to wait for each person to come up. Please speak loud enough for all to hear, and we will limit our shares to two minutes each person. And I've got a, a timer up here, and I'll try to stop you at two minutes. All right, let's take turns. Share. I, I'd really appreciate, too, maybe some longer-term sobriety coming up first, if you would, please. I'm Ken. I'm a sexaholic. I have two years sobriety. I've been in the program since 2005. Um, I am like the barn. Stuffed with feelings. Uh, I joined the program in 2005. If you had asked me in 2006, I would have said I was sensitive and emotional and, and was, was balanced. I wasn't. Um, I discovered when I had to do my fourth step and I had to list my resentments. I didn't have any. I had to list my angers. I didn't have any. Now, there are some people, of course, who rage, who are at one extreme. I'm at the other extreme, and I stuffed my feelings. And, and that's, that's what I learned to do, and I thought that was a compliment. I mean, I was stoic. You know, I, I was uh, poised. You know, I made up words that sounded good, but I, my emotions were, were, out of, were bad, and I, it caused me to act out. Um, because of the program, I have learned to feel emotions. I even cry at movies. You know, when Bammy's mom died, it was, it was just really tough, you know. Um, I used to avoid, I would, I would absolutely positively avoid discussions with my wife of tensions. I would just wait till I kind of passed away. Uh, today I can initiate those discussions. Uh, yes, I buried my pain before, but it was still there. Um, today, I feel my pain, and I deal with it. It's fine. But I discovered when I buried my pain, I buried my joy also. And today, I can deal with the pain, and I live with the joy. And what a gift of the program by becoming more emotionally sober. And, and the program has given me that gift so uh, I think with that, I'll, I'll end. Thank you. Hi, I'm Denise. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Denise. And thank you both so much for your, your shares. Um, recently, I, I thought I was suffering with depression, you know, and exactly what was shared, this sort of... You know, God. And I went to the doctor and uh, my cat, my, um, counselor and, um, she listened to me. You know, she knows me very well. She's a very good counselor. And, uh, we, we ended and she said, okay, Denise, um, this is what we're going to do. And I said, okay, now she's going to give me the tablet, right? <laughs> 
And she said, here is a notebook. She said, I said, yeah, okay, that's for your gratitude list. So I, <laughs> I paid her 60 euro to tell me to write a gratitude list. <laughs> I was disgusted. <laughs> so that led me to really, um, I'm laughing, but I was having very dark emotions, you know, and, um, I was listening to, I'm very blessed to be a member of the fellowship because there was a member who sent around, you know, a link about emotional sobriety. And on that link was a number of different things I was able to investigate, you know, and read the the doctor's um, Bill's um, emotional sobriety letter, listen to other speakers who had been, you know, long term sober members, because I was starting to think, oh, my God, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, I should be better than I am now, you know, and and I realized that, yeah, the new, I love the title of the, the new frontier. It's like Star Trek, you know, <laughs> emotional sobriety. And for me, it is a bit out there, you know, that concept. And so I am looking at, yeah, I, I was noticing that that thing about hurting myself, telling myself I was stupid, you know, um, and feeling a lot of shame. And what was confusing me was, um, I'm able to, um, let's say I, I surrender lust on a daily basis and, and don't particularly struggle. You know, I do struggle. I'm a sexaholic, like, but not, that's not my main issue. Um, but yet I was having all of these, um, bad emotions. So I've learned that, um, with my, the help of my sponsor, you know, that it's an, it is the new frontier. You know, first you have to have sobriety from lust and then I need to look at, my emotions uh, and oh yeah I can say I can express myself I can say what I need to do I can do what I need to do but inside I feel dead you know so the next step is to make the feelings match the actions so thank you so much thank you. hi my name's Angie I'm a recovering sexaholic my sobriety date is March 16, 2015. This has been a great topic for me. Um, I've hit several bottoms with my emotional sobriety. And what that looks like for me is I've had enough sobriety to know what serenity feels like. And when I have serenity, I'm in the moment and I'm happy with what is. And the moment that my life feels out of control, um, I may feel a negative emotion, I may feel pain, whatever's going on, I know that my emotional sobriety is is upset. So at that point, I have to go to feelings, and I have to find out, okay, what's going on? I don't always know. Anxiety still comes upon me, and I won't even be breathing, and I don't even know it until I'm gasping for air. I haven't got that one figured out. I do know that there are certain triggers, and I know that when I became, after I got sober from lust, all of these feelings I had to deal with, and there were so many triggers and so much fear that I just had to become aware of nearly everything because I was so afraid of everything of what somebody was going to say or am I because I was a pleaser I was a manipulator but um, I also liked control from those places so when I'm working on um, my emotional sobriety I know that I cannot control fix or manage another person and if I'm trying to do that I do have absolutely no serenity. And the other day I had a great revelation, and it was this. I decided that if I'm trying to manipulate another person and meet, have them meet a need of mine without me saying what my need is, it gets down to my pride because I think I know what's right for that person to make me feel Good, which is actually dependency relationship. So it's been a really um, interesting journey. I'm thankful for everyone in the fellowship, and I will pass to the next chair. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Barrett. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi. Um, 
I really appreciate this topic and I knew that I wanted to come to this. Um, and I really appreciate the dependency factor because I think the dependency, I'm a, I'm low bottom when it comes to de- dependency relationships. And I had just got out of speaking with somebody I had, you know, coming in here, I ended up developing a seven and a half year long dependency relationship with the sponsor and she became my life and she became my program and she became my higher power. And then it's like when I realized I had no juice in me and no, no life anymore. And like, I wasn't like, I knew something was wrong the whole time, but I kept on shoving it down. And I was so like, it became like, I became addicted to her. And that was that dependency, like that, that fill me up and make me whole, like as if I didn't exist, if it wasn't, you know, and of course her, her stuff, you know, totally matched what I needed at that time. And, um, and the miracle is, is that I've had enough, you know, a, a spiritual experience to know that there was more and it's in the book and it's in the program, but because she became that I needed outside help. But it's like, what I know is that God, when I called out to God, God gave me the help that I needed to get out of that. And that's a miracle to get out of a low bottom dependency relationship, actually. And, um, and to get me back on track and back in the program. And, you know, it really is like part of what I needed to go through. And there's a lot of gratitudes that came out of that and a lot of very painful learning experiences. However, you know, I always say, actually, I'm grateful to do this in the program because I could have been doing it out of the program. Am I, uh, it's too loud or that was my time. Oh, there's an echo. Okay. Uh, with, you, you know, I could have done that out of a program with like a guy or something and that is scary. So it's like surviving my own recovery and this thing. And like, thank God today uh, I was, I ended up on medication and everything. And like today, like I'm so grateful because I'm not in any dependency relationships. I'm off medication. <laughs> I'm back in my program. Like God has given me a new life. I've become, thank you. What is that? Oh, it's time. So, uh, I just, then just want to say that meditation has been, um, the, the, the thing that got, what I have tried to accomplish in like eight years, meditation helped me in like three months. So that's really helped me to grow. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jackie. I'm a sexaholic and, uh, I'm from Holland and, uh, my sobriety date is, uh, the 4th of January, 2010. Um, wow. I'll begin with one of the slogans is, um, oh gosh, I forgot now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm nervous. Uh, no, it's, um, is lust itself is not the problem. The problem is me, you know, and I, uh, I use lust to medicate myself. Um, and I'm saying the, I think it was the third or fourth year of my sobriety, uh, working through the steps with my sponsor that I felt really, really frightened and I was scared. And this was a shocker. Like, oh my goodness, what is happening to me? Uh, I didn't understand. Um, and, uh, that, that's where it was really helpful to have the guidance of a sponsor that said, you know what? You've probably been feeling all those fears all your life. I'm like, what? Really confused about that. But now I understand it's because I've been medicating those fears all my life. And this was the first time that I got to feel the raw feelings, you know, all the little things, uh, you know, inside my house, going outside, going to work, doing a phone call. <sighs> oh my goodness. Uh, and as it was said here, you know, that it's, it's first, I have to experience that experience those emotions that yes, they will pass. And I can go through those emotions without acting out. I can be sober, you know, and that is such a, a new experience, especially with those things, but that, you know, and, and, um, and now as well, um, I, I know I'm a fearful person. Uh, I embrace that I'm a fearful person because that's part of me, but it doesn't have to overrule me now. And I'm really and truly grateful for that. And, um, thanks for listening. And uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Jackie. I'm Brian. I'm a grateful sexaholic. Uh, been around these rooms since March of 2002 and grateful to be sober one day at a time since July 18th of 2008. And um, I would really like to just plug that, that, mind, that meditation. I was reading a book on mindfulness, which is just a newfangled word for meditation. Um, and it said one of the benefits of, of mindfulness or meditation is emotional balance. 
In order to be emotionally balanced, it's good to know the extremes. And the one extreme is numb, is not feeling anything. The other extreme is the emotional roller coaster, that manic, that, you know, chasing the elation, chasing the pleasure. And that's what we've done. And, um, to get to the middle, um, is, is the goal. It have enough emotion that life has meaning and not so much emotion that it's running my life. And, um, I've been, it's 10th step. I, it says that every time I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And so my emotions are there. I can consider them my check engine light. I used to think every time I got angry, it was Ned's fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I learned it's me. It's me. The problem is me. If I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And I, I, do, I do a journal about 360, 350 days a year. I do my emotional journal. I, I have to emotional journal my day every day to see where the check engine light is. And, um, and one day at a time, I'm moving more towards emotional balance. And as I owe it all to this program. It's 10th step and mindfulness. So 10th step and 11th step is where you get emotional sobriety. Thanks. Hey, I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic. Sobriety date, July 2nd, 2013. And this is a great topic, and appreciate y'all shares very much. Um, emotional sobriety has been really important for me. I came from a family where um, the what we did is I'll show you my emotions before you show me yours. So um, it was it was an emotional roller coaster for sure. And being the fifth, being the youngest of five children, uh, my my emotions were the least most important, and nobody cared about my emotions. And uh, so I grew up not to care about my emotions. And for a long time, fear was a driving force in my life. And um, I, I'm a self-employed remodeling contractor. And I would do wonderful work at people's houses, and it would just be perfect because I'm a perfectionist. But when it came time to submit the invoice, I had fear that people would say, you do crappy work. Get out of here. I'm not paying you. And so I would lower the price. It would not be based on anything but my own emotions. And so now, because of therapy, because of uh, the program, I have a fear tax that I put on my quotes when I get through quoting them. <laughs> so and my therapy group helped me come up. It's a fear tax. So if your bathroom remodel is going to cost $8,000, Tracy will do it for $8,800. <laughs> And that's just been really, really helpful to help me to overcome the fear. And uh, one thing, too, that's helped me with emotional sobriety so much, and I love knowing this, my therapist taught me, or she said, when things are bad, they're not going to stay bad. And when things are good, they're not going to stay good. Life ebbs and flows. And our emotions may ebb and flow, but we do have a choice how we want to control them. Thanks. Robert, recovered sexaholic. Um, very grateful for this topic. Appreciate your shares. I appreciate the shares of everyone. You know, I can give you a sobriety date, um, but my emotional sobriety, no one, no one gives their emotional sobriety date. No one gives their spiritual sobriety date. So one thing I learned from my brother, Dennis, God bless him, um, I don't know if you can see it. I, I have a, on my keychain, I have a, uh, one day sobriety chip, uh, because, um, my challenge in emotional sobriety is often behind the wheel. And it is often related to being in halt, um, and pri primarily tired. Um, um, and so this is where I'm struggling and, and it's just good to say that. And now the world knows it. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Um, um, I'm just so grateful for this program and, uh, look forward to the day when my emotional, my, my physical sobriety and spiritual emotional, uh, sobriety dates line up. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Josiah. I'm a recovering sex addict. Um, 
so I grew up in a family where uh, there was a lot of uh, just rash anger and lots of um, just a lot of anger in my family. So I grew up kind of managing and trying to tell the right joke at the right time or trying to pop the tension. Um, and so I was managing other people's emotions. Um, I'm only six months sober, so I feel like I'm only at the very beginning of even like discovering my own emotions and like, oh, okay, I'm mad right now because, and trying to figure out what that is. So, um, but, uh, I have gained a little bit of emotional sobriety just with the word no. (laughs) It's a great word. Um, so I had a situation at work that came up and, I uh, had a person under, underneath me who wanted to do certain things, and I was just really not comfortable with it. And uh, and um, I was able to say no to that person, and I knew that they were walking away unhappy, and I walked away just so happy. And you know, I walked away happy because I said no, and I made somebody unhappy. And that just, you know, like I'm used to making everyone happy and like trying to trying to keep the peace and everything, and. Um, and I successfully made someone unhappy. So, um, <clears throat> so that's part of, that's part of my emotional sobriety. Um, and I'm, I'm discovering now as I'm getting more sober that intimacy is really uncomfortable for me. I r- always knew that because I tried to date and immediately, like, like we- a couple weeks in, I'd be like, hey, give me the hell out of here. I'm done. Um, but y- yeah, so that's the big one for me now. It's like, I do not want to be intimate with anybody. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's my journey. So, Thanks. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I'm Wendy. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I just was sitting back there thinking it was ironic that it's a, a, a breakout on emotional sobriety and the first six people were women. <laughs> There was a guy in there, too. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, yes, my emotional sobriety was stunted at about five. (laughs) Um, And and it showed a lot in my life, in the way I treated people, um, in the way I let people treat me. Um, It wasn't just, oh, I'm sad or I'm mad. It was... I hate myself. How could I let them do that to me? How could I do that to someone else? And um, I didn't know what emotions were. Our house was in a constant state of disturbance. I shared that earlier. Um, so I didn't know any feeling. I didn't even know I was disturbed <laughs> at that time. Um, but now that I have some recovery, uh, I can notice Feelings. I can say, you know, the driver that cuts me off in traffic, yes, in my head, I might be saying something expletive, but I know that it's only going to upset my emotional sobriety. That person is going to continue on their path, whistling a tune, and I'm going to be angry and I'm giving away my emotional sobriety. And the only the only, uh, I don't want to say person, entity that I am willing to give up my emotional sobriety to is my higher power, and he doesn't do that. So I'm good in that regard. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to share. Uh, perfect. That's time. I'll pass. <laughs> Hi, I'm Madison. I'm a sex hawk. I was thinking about emotional sobriety and what uh, helps determine that for me. And as I'm thinking about it, I think there's, it's, it kind of is everything. Um, I can't just have one thing dealt with, like one character defect or one tool. I kind of have to be working everything to really be emotionally sober. Um, I was thinking of a couple things in particular, though, that really helped me deal um, with emotional sobriety. Um, specifically in relationship, uh, like with my wife or whatever, if I can surrender my pride, that allows that relationship to go a lot better. Um, also if I surrender my expectations, that makes a pretty big difference. Um, and, um, one other thing I was thinking about is from time to time, um, I'll notice something's bothering me and, um, 
I don't do a daily journal or, or anything like that, but I, I do um, f- manage to notice if something's bothering me. And when I do, I, I kind of stop and sit and think about it a while and, um, you know, figure out what's bothering me and then figure out what I need to do to deal with that. And um, I think that makes a big difference because, you know, a lot of times just one little thing can be kind of setting me off. And until I figure that out and deal with it, it's going to derail things. So that's my thought. This will have to be our last one. I'm sorry, we're running out of time, and they need the room after we get out. No pressure. Hi, I'm Rock, a recovering sex addict. Some of the time, I want my life, my emotional life fixed. But they fix cats and dogs. I don't want that. So, what I... What I still have to search, if it's for me, I'm busy, okay. Um, what I still have to search, what's the difference between my expectations of emotional sobriety and repression? What's the difference between self-pity and grief? What's the difference between thinking my emotions and feeling them? So there's a part of me that is thinking, I still need to be taught by the very stuff that screws up my life and and knocks me off balance. So uh, what I find in the surrender to my higher power is an opportunity to seek serenity anew so that I can accept the things I can't change, which are my emotions, and and then maybe learn from them. So that's that's a hope I have. Thank you very much for your shares and for the great shares uh, you all had today. Thank you. Thank you. Yay, I get to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, get sober, they said. You'll feel better, they said. And so... Uh, I bought that, and I came to realize that I felt rage better, and I felt scared better, and I felt vulnerably vulnerable better, and uh, I didn't like it. I realized that once I got sober, I realized I was completely insane, and that scared the heck out of me, and I um, very... Soon after that, figured out that um, it wasn't just sexaholism that had to go. About six months in, um, I had to pull the rest of the weed, <clears throat> so to speak. And that meant everything that I was doing in the addiction whack-a-mole game had to go. Um, and then after that, I realized that it was the emotional sobriety that I really had to get control over or awareness of. And as I continue forward each day, um, the feeling that I feel and the sensations that I feel all over my body, and I am able to observe objectively through the miracle of meditation, um, is how I survive, is how I get, is how I stay sober every day. Uh, and it's, you know, from the tingling feeling in the back of my head that says, Hey, why don't you numb out? Or the, uh, the, you know, the pounding I get in my chest when I get up here and think about what is it that I'm going to say? You know, those are the things that I don't think I felt before. Um, and I'm enjoying it. So I do feel better. It's just not what I had expected. Yeah. Thank you. You didn't say your name at first. What, you want to label this one? Uh, my name is Dustin. I'm from Colorado, and uh, my sobriety date is May 24th, 2017. I do have a sponsor working steps eight and nine. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for being here and participating, those especially who shared. And uh, if you like, go buy a copy of this uh, CD from, uh, uh, yeah.
and hear, you can hear yourself over and over. All right. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Let's all stand and say the seventh step prayer. It's on the back of your program guide. So I suggest you don't try to hold hands if you don't know this. When in, and say you've got your your uh, program there, and uh, let's share together. listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Bye.